What classes do you think of when you hear the term critical thinking skills? Now, is this just for science and social studies and literature, or is there a place for it in our world language classes? My guest today, Lisa Shepard, who is a French teacher in Ohio, is here to show us that our language classrooms are in fact the ideal place to highlight and hone critical thinking skills. Lisa shares her reasoning along with many suggestions for building these skills in the target language at every proficiency level. So let's jump in. Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends. Bonjour, mes amis. Hola, mis amigos. Welcome to the World Language Classroom Podcast. I am Joshua Cabral, and you know I have to say thank you for being the incredible educator you are, because look at what you're doing. You're listening to a podcast about teaching, to hear about what teachers are doing in their classroom, and then you're thinking about your own teaching. You are a wonderful teacher, so thank you for taking the time to do that. And in our episode today, we are going to give you even more tools to bring back into your classroom because we're going to be talking about critical thinking skills. So this idea of critical thinking skills is not a typical topic that comes up when we're talking about language acquisition and comprehensible input and the modes and the actual core practices but it is so important because I'm thinking of it as one of these areas of teaching where we are able to combine forces with other classes. And so I wanted to bring Lisa Shepard onto the podcast so that I could get some ideas and hopefully share a lot with you as well so that you can bring this idea of critical thinking skills into your world language classroom because it might be a place where we think, oh, those skills, those are left for the social studies studies class or when they're writing in English, but I'm pretty sure that we can do this in our language classes as well. Lisa Shepard is a French teacher by her entire career for almost 30 years. She taught in Ohio and Missouri, and the last couple of years, she has been focusing on working with teachers, doing consulting in schools, and bringing her years of experience to teachers, including this theme of critical thinking skills. And you may have seen her on Twitter. She's very involved in LangChat or in French Teachers in the U.S. Facebook group. You may have seen her name in there. And of course, she is an actful person. She has presented an actful and even on this very topic we're going to be talking about today. So everyone get your thinking caps on for your critical thinking skills. And welcome to the podcast, Lisa Shepard. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yes. So I kind of gave the rundown of who you are, what you're doing. Is there anything you'd like to fill in the blanks for us a little bit? I think you've pretty much covered it. <laughs> yes. Okay. So as I, I mentioned that we're using this term critical thinking skills, and I think that most teachers in schools have heard of this and whether or not they think they're actually engaging with it. I like to always start by making sure that when we say something like 
comprehensible import or critical thinking skills that we actually know what it means before we jump into the details of it. So when you use this word critical thinking skills, what does that mean for you? So that is a great question. And that's kind of where I started when I was preparing my presentation on critical thinking skills. And there are lots and lots of definitions. So I went with the K K I S S. Keep it simple, silly. <laughs> so I just I liked the definition of we can look at the Bloom's taxonomy and mm -hmm. it, and consider understanding, applying, analyzing, evaluating, and creating. Mm -hmm. That all of those those steps are part of critical thinking. Mm -hmm. So in talking with Blooms, there's, there's been a transformation with Blooms over the years because they were originally nouns, right? And right. then they were rewritten to be verbs. So this idea of bringing these critical thinking skills and those Blooms taxonomy terms that you just referenced, why is this an essential piece of our classroom experience in our curriculum for students? Well, absolutely. It's vital because for one thing, according to those ACTFL standards, we are asking our students to analyze authentic resources. And we talk about interpretation, not just comprehension. So that means that we need to also be able to read between the lines, and those are part of critical thinking. So definitely, they need to evaluate those authentic texts. They need to analyze them. What what parts of what they're reading or listening to are fact and what are opinion. They need to assess the credibility of a source. Um, and this is so different now compared to when I was in college. I was going to the university library and looking at the foreign language annals and French review. Mm -hmm. And now students have access to the internet, but we have to teach them those skills of mm -hmm. how credible is this source? Is this something for me to cite in a more formal presentation? They need to be able to match the details to the main ideas. And that's something we see woven through the successful ACTFL CANTU statements. Mm -hmm. Also, you kind of talked about a little bit about the role of critical thinking and acquisition. And absolutely, when we ask the students to, to think critically, they are rereading a text or re-listening to a text as they reread and as they listen again. That certainly leads to improved language acquisition. Yeah. So I'm thinking back to when you first started, you said it's about reading between the lines, this yes. idea. And I want to expand on that a little bit because that's one of those terms you use all the time, you know, read between the lines. And so it's about finding those connections and the details in there. So can you tell us a little more about making those connections and finding those details? Sure. And we'll talk, I think that we will be talking about yeah. some examples yes. in a little bit, but absolutely a mm -hmm. lot of the tasks that I have spoken about require the students to do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what is the main idea? How does the author support that with, with a detail? Is the support adequate? Mm -hmm. Is in the way that the author chooses to support it, is it, you know, factor opinion? Is it, you know, is it evidence that is credible? Mm hmm. So talking about this is it's it's sounding theoretical, right? So we're going to get into right. the examples of what it actually looks like in the classroom. But even going to this level, and I'm I'm sure that I mean, I am speaking personally for myself here when I hear about digging into a text and the author's purpose and all of these and connecting all those dots, I'm starting to think, oh, is this possible 
in the target language, right? Because sometimes these are these are concepts that are often used in other academic areas, but there may be a concern about students being able to address those skills in a world language class or in the target language, and particularly say at the novice level, and you may be thinking a little more than novice level, but can you sort of give us your, your case for doing these skills and addressing these skills in the language classroom? Absolutely. And it is possible with novice students. For one thing, we have to make sure that when we talk about authentic resources, we're talking about the breadth of authentic resources that are available. And that includes a photograph. A photograph is an authentic resource. So if we ask students to do an activity that many people are familiar with called I see, I think I wonder, Mm-hmm. That is critical thinking. They can list nouns that they see. That's what we expect novices to do, to make lists. So they can list what they see. They can talk, often talk about what they think if we give them some sentence builders to help them with that. And maybe I wonder. But also we might decide that some parts of the process might need to be in, in their shared language and not in the target language. Mm-hmm. you know, depending on what level they are. And we know, especially if it's a written text, if we like talked about that activity with an infographic, well, they are, even if they are answering and responding in English, they still are using, you know, the text is, is providing input in the target language. So right. it's so, very valuable for their acquisition. Right. So there's the interpretive task, which isn't necessarily the, the output isn't going to be in the target language, but the input being in that text that they're reading, that interpretive mode is being done in the target language. Exactly. Right. So I would like to, I love the theory. That's great. But I think everybody wants to know, okay, you've made the case for it. Yes, we can do critical thinking skills, even at the novice level. So let's talk about if I want to do this in my classroom tomorrow, next week, what some of that might look like. And I've seen from your presentations that you have broken it down to a couple of different categories. So I'd like to go through those to keep it a little more organized. So the first one is about authentic resources, which you just talked a little bit about. But could you give some specific examples of what that might look like in the classroom? Absolutely. So I did to use kind of the terminology of, of critical thinking. I wanted to include that, that, that analyze in it, but this is just, this is where we're working the interpretive mode into the activities. So a couple examples that would work, you know, even with novice students, I've, I've used with novice students. One is called windows and mirrors, and it's just a graphic organizer. One, one has a window and one has a mirror. And after the students then had listen to an authentic text or read an authentic text, then they make statements in, you know, in one of those two, either in the window or in the mirror. So a statement where author or subject of the video or or the reading where they had something in common with that person, that that person's experience reflected their own experience, then they would write sentences about that in the mirror side. And then when they learn something about a different perspective, then they would write information on the the window side. Another example then that I use that requires a little bit more language maybe, but there's an activity from that came from Project Zero, which is a Harvard project, and it's called Claim Evidence Reasoning. They call it CER. So for this 
for this activity as a teacher to prepare it. So the, I've given the students a text of some kind. It would be, this would be for an informational text. And then I ask the students to make a claim. What is the author's claim? And for novice students, I give a choice of three claims. So I'm going to ask them of these three, which is the most accurate claim made by the author? So this is set up like a graphic organizer. So then in the next part, the E is for evidence. So the students cite evidence. And again, they could be picking phrases right from the text. So even at the novice level, they're, they're not producing language, yet they're certainly interpreting it to know whether or not it's an example of the author supporting the claim. And then finally, in the last part is that we ask the students to explain the author's reasoning. And for novices, that would probably would be in English because of the types of language that would be required for explaining. I want to dive a little more into this claim evidence reasoning, because whenever I hear from teachers, oh, here's a good idea, I immediately start thinking, ooh, I want to try that in my classroom, right? Mm -hmm. And so you said that it's a more of an informational text rather than a fictional text, Correct. right? So if I were doing this with a more advanced class, I could see using a website or something. Mm -hmm. But if I wanted to try this with, say, intermediate low students where they're writing discrete sentences and I had them using maybe an infographic of some right. sort. Let's talk about recycling. I found, I always find, and I'm Canadian and there's recycling infographics everywhere. You could find them in French very easily. So if I have them using a, a, an infographic about recycling that's in French, and if they're looking at that and it says, you know, what is the author claiming here? Like, what sort of thing might they be looking for in that sort of authentic document for the claim of the author? Right. Well, it would depend on, because even an infographic about recycling, it might be, you know, recycling can reduce pollution. Recycling mm -hmm. can save money. Recycling is every citizen's responsibility. Mm -hmm. I mean, it depends, you know, the author is going to bring that perspective. Right. So, but the interesting thing there was, I think when we often think of author, we're thinking of one person and we know who that was because it was written by this person. And I was, I wanted to hear your, your perspective on the author's claim because there is no real author if it's sort of an advertisement site thing. So you don't have to actually know who the author is to find the claim they're making. Absolutely. But I love that you brought that up because so many infographics are commercial in nature mm -hmm. and they are like a pet infographic I've used a lot was was actually published by a pet supply company. So the claim is often or, you know, you should buy our products is often, you know, veiled as being mm -hmm. informational, but mm -hmm. it it's an advertisement. Yes. And then I guess the critical thinking skills come in when you try to find the evidence in there for their claim and you don't find it. And there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> and, it, right. and they can do that at that intermediate low level mm -hmm. that you talked about with an infographic. Yeah. yeah. So I'm even thinking now looking at something like that, they have 
they have really honed that critical thinking skill because they are finding what the claim is and it's maybe a bogus claim because they actually can't find evidence for it, which is the skill we're going for, right? Absolutely. And that's something we all need to do in our real life. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's very valuable for our students to learn that in, in our class. Yes. Excellent. I love that. So now let's talk a little bit about these activities that would involve collaboration problem solving with collaboration with others. Right. This was my chance to talk about some interpersonal activities mm -hmm. then in terms of, you know, our, we're solving some kind of problem. So a couple of ideas that I have that could work even with novices. One is called a picture tic-tac-toe, and that came from a website called theowlteacher.com. But for this, the teacher creates a nine grid, so three vertical and three horizontal to make nine. And there's different images. So at a novice level, I might have fruits and vegetables, pictures of fruits, just a picture of a fruit and vegetable in each square. So then we're going to ask the students, try to make try to make a tic-tac-toe three in a row by what do these three pictures have in common? So if the one row was an apple and a pear and a mango, you know, what do all of th those three things have in common? Well, mm -hmm. they can be yellow could be something. So a novice student can say they're yellow, mm -hmm. but yet they are having to find those connections. And it might be harder. It might be, you know, three that have, that you eat the seeds like a strawberry or something mm -hmm. or papaya. It might be they grow on a tree. It might, you know, be they, they're good in a pie or they're not good in a pie. Mm -hmm. So I love those activities that don't have a right answer because mm -hmm. it gets the students talking. And, you know, that same activity then could be used at a higher level. You talked about the environment while recycling, but with the mm -hmm. environment, and it could be pictures of kind of environmental uh, phenomenon. And, you know, what do these have in common? They're caused mm -hmm. by greenhouse gases or mm -hmm. something like that. So it can be used at different levels mm -hmm. with just more sophisticated language based on pictures that, you know, require a little more content knowledge. Mm -hmm. So I always like to look at the very novice way of approaching it as the way to understand it. And then I can figure out the higher proficiency levels to do with it. So I want to go back to your idea of putting the fruit in the boxes and the like the tic-tac-toe grid. So you said, you know, there are three fruits in a row. So I'm I want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. So you have nine fruits in there, novice level. And you would say the top row or the diagonal left to right. What are those three? So you can change it up so that they're approaching it differently. Am I understanding Absol that correctly? Absolutely. <laughs> the teacher could do that or you could give them five minutes to talk and say mm -hmm. how many how many tic-tac-toes you can can you make? So, all right, you found, you know, you found a way that the top row all has in common. Can you find one of the columns that what do they have in common? Okay. In common. And then later the teacher can ask the students to share out what they discovered and then their classmates can learn mm -hmm. from them. You can ask them to write about them, you know, choose one of your tic-tac-toes and explain it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking right now the, the book that I'm reading with one of my classes, there's a lot of characters in it. And I'm thinking oh, all the character names are going in there and they're going to have to find what the characters have in common. <laughs> 
I love that. I love that. Yeah. It's like and a I, sparking it, you know. And I think the kids will love that too. Uh-huh. And if they have a piece of paper and they can put an X on it, that's, you know, all the more fun. Yeah. Another example for a way to solve problems collaboratively that can work for different levels of proficiency is one called the affinity process. And this is from the Learn K20 website, which is from the University of Oklahoma. And for that process, each student gets a a few, maybe like three post-its, and then you give them a topic. For novices, I might do, if I were doing a unit on the family, I would say, write down the, the people, the relationships of the people that you consider part of your family. So every student writes, you know, three different relationships. And then two students come together and they pull their post-its and they have to come up with two columns, two groupings of finding what those words have in common. So maybe they'll end up with male and female family members. Maybe they'll end up with blood relation or related by marriage. Maybe they'll come up with people that live with me and don't. People who are humans and people that are, well, not people, right? Family Mm -hmm. members that are humans and family (laughs) members that are pets. Right. So at that level, that would, you know, a novice could do that. It's novice language and they could probably come up with those terms to extend it. Those, those pair might join with two other people. Mm -hmm. So then they would kind of have to start over or you might say now do three columns. So they would Mm -hmm. have to move things around, but it's certainly a great way to build vocabulary, but still they're having to find those relationships. So that's a great critical thinking skill. Excellent. Wonderful. Yeah. These, all these ideas start sparking and like, okay, so I'm doing that in this class. I could try it this way. So thank you. And I, I know that that happens a lot with teachers as they're listening. They may, they might not do something exactly as we talk about it, but it sparks some good ideas. Absolutely. Uh, so now let's talk a little more about the creative process. You know, we're, we were looking at, you know, solving the problems and working creatively and looking at claims. But now if we look at creating messages, whether that's informational or persuasive messages, what will that look like in this lens of critical thinking skills? Sure. So that's where we start to talk about the presentational tasks. And a mm-hmm. couple of examples that these both came again from Project Zero. One that they described is called the circle of viewpoints. And for that one, you know, you take whatever topic you're studying and the students brainstorm perspectives associated with the topic. And then they choose a perspective to explore. So an example I was thinking about was um when I a unit on school cafeteria lunches mm-hmm. and there's lots of text about that and it's kind of interesting for the kids. So the question that I thought of for the students to explore was, should our cafeteria offer vegetarian meals? Because that was actually something that was kind of controversial in France. So the students can brainstorm, you know, what perspective they want to look into. So the text, the sample text I had was, about the mayor and he was against the idea because he wanted to support the farmers who were raising livestock. Mm -hmm. So that's a perspective. The, you know, some of the students are going to have a different perspective if they're vegetarian based on health reasons or religious reasons, you know, that's a perspective. Cafeteria workers might have a perspective too. So, you know, we're, we're not, we have to be really careful about asking students to assume another perspective that is not their own. And Mm -hmm. we do not want to encourage any kind of cultural appropriation. 
but sometimes we can consider that and just you know based on written work and not just what they think somebody else may have felt another one that also asks the students to think about that is called stories and for this one you know when they're going to create a message we've we've asked them to create some kind of presentational task and that you know my class was always going to be based on an authentic resource we kind of followed that where we would interpret the resource we would discuss it and then there would be some kind of presentational task so just before you do that before you write about it or use that information to ask yourself whose story is it so even when you talked about like the recycling whose story was that who benefits from recycling whose story is being left out what are the problems with recycling Mm -hmm. so just to ask the students to think about whose story is being told whose story is being left out why are some stories being left out what story do they want to tell when they go to create a presentational task Mm When you're referencing these presentational tasks, are you mostly looking at it as presentational writing or are you thinking also as a presentational speaking task as well? Either one. You know, I usually talk about raft assignments Mm -hmm. where the students choose a role, the students or I choose a role, who's the audience going to be, what's the format and what's the topic. So Mm -hmm. certainly we hope that we can provide an authentic audience Mm -hmm. for that work. Sometimes the audience is your classroom or the teachers, but at least, you know, the assignment might be an article for the school newspapers, you know, your, the, our exchange students are here Mm -hmm. in the building and, you know, write about this topic. So Mm -hmm. excellent. Simple like that. Great. So I'm curious to know where your inspiration continues to to come from. You know, you spent many years in the classroom as a teacher and you continue to be inspired by this idea of critical thinking skills, which I absolutely love, I have to tell you. And where is that? Where's that spark of inspiration coming from? Well, I've just, I'm kind of immersed in my my virtual co- colleagues every day. I spend lots of time on Twitter. My Twitter is, is almost just pro- professional. I mean, I did get a new kitten lately, so Timby made an appearance. But in general, you know, I'm just involved in learning from other teachers through that. Certainly going to conferences, reading professional literature. I know that you had Florencia and Maris on the show, mm-hmm. and that I just thought was an incredible book. And I was, mm-hmm. I led the language book discussion, Twitter discussion with it. I was thrilled to meet the both of them mm-hmm. at ACTFL. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's everywhere. And yes. it's it's so great compared to how it was when I first started teaching. Mm-hmm. I was often the only French teacher even in the building. And mm-hmm. now we're everywhere. I always say that language teachers are so generous and so willing to share and collaborate. I also have a blog, which isn't very, isn't very active anymore, but that's how I originally started is I started making changes to my teaching. I felt like, wow, I'd gone, gone to all this work to create this unit plan according to the ACTFL standards, and it was for 25 students. So that's how I first got involved in trying to give back after so many teachers had given back to me. Okay, excellent. So this is the point in the conversation where I like to pull the teacher curtain back a little bit and play my game of this or that to get to know you a little better. Are you up for it? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. All right. So the first one is, do you need clear directions when you're undertaking something or are loose guidelines okay for you? 
I like really clear directions. <laughs> I might not follow them, but I like to have them to start with. My type A personality <laughs> would yeah. agree with you. <laughs> okay. And when you have an opportunity to be with friends, family, do you prefer to be in a large group of people where you can make lots of connections or do you like a smaller group for more intimate connections? I really, I'm, I'm a classic introvert and I love, I love to be with people in small groups. At mm-hmm. ACTFL, I had a great time reaching out and having lunch with a couple people who I just knew on Twitter, but yeah, big groups are overwhelming to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The ACTFL experience for an introvert is, is probably kind of special. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Yes. And the last one here is, if you have the choice, you have a weekend free, do you want to be by the ocean or in the mountains? I'm a mountain person. I achieved a lifelong kind of a bucket list trip this past summer. I did a 105-mile hike in the Alps called the Tour de Mont Blanc. My husband and I hiked every day for, like I said, 10 days, and it was absolutely the most stunning experience of my life. So give me the mountains any day. Wow. What did you have to do to prepare for that? Well, it's hard because I live in Ohio. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In southern Ohio, we do have some hills, so we would Mm -hmm. just have to do those hills over and over again. And, you know, some treadmill stuff. I mean, we, we were pretty serious about it because mm-hmm. it can kind of make or break break your, your trip. So we, yeah. we were real happy with, with how it went. And our, our training seemed to, to work for us. Wow. So where, you said the Alps, but geographically, where were you exactly? So France, Switzerland, and Italy. So it's wow. called the Tour de Mont Blanc. So we don't go over Mont Blanc, but we go uh-huh. around it. So we have a, a view of it. And it, it was just uh-huh. absolutely beautiful so you walked and hiked into three different countries uh-huh wow that <laughs> no. is impressive yeah. see that's why i love these this or that questions because at no point in our critical thinking conversation <laughs> would we learn that you did that well, probably not but it was so, some i don't want to forget that's for sure excellent So I am sure that there are teachers that have a lot of questions about this idea of critical thinking and yes, they want to do it, but how do you, how do you bring it into your language classroom? You gave some great examples, but I'm sure that they'll want to connect with you some more. So what's the best way to be reaching out to you? That's awesome. Well, probably easiest is my email and I'm going to spell it because Shepard is kind of hard to spell. So it's Lisa Shepard. So L-I-S-A-S-H-E. P A R D W L C at gmail.com. Okay. And I'll make sure that's in the show notes. Great. So that's probably easiest. Okay. And how about your world of Twitter? Yep. I'm at (laughs) M M E S H E P. All right. That'll definitely be in the show notes because I've been a Twitter follower for quite some time as well. And so Before we say our goodbyes, there's so much to take in with this critical thinking and critical thinking skills and what I'm going to do in my classroom. But if you're you're giving some advice to a teacher who's bringing us into their language classroom for maybe the first time, what's that advice you're going to leave with them? I would just say start with one. And if you go, if teachers go back and you know, look at the examples. Most of those require little or no preparation from the teacher. You can have them create some of those graphic organizers on a piece of paper. So just start with one that you don't have to work very hard. 
and it doesn't have to be graded. You don't have to take points. So start with something tomorrow and let me know how it goes. They'll be sharing out with you on Twitter what all their ideas are. I'll look and, forward to that. Yeah. There's there's nothing better than try this no prep activity. That, those are <laughs> the words that, yes, now, now I know I could do it. So thank you so, so very much, Lisa, for all of your thoughts and ideas and inspiration that you gave us about critical thinking skills and for joining me here on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. What are your takeaways from that conversation with Lisa Shepard? I know that I am definitely seeing my classroom as a place where critical thinking skills can be practiced and improved for sure. I can't wait to try out a lot of her activities. Be sure to check out the show notes so you can connect directly with Lisa Shepard. You'll also see a link to sign up for Talking Points, which is my weekly email newsletter with tips and resources for language teaching. There are also links to get in touch with me if you would like to work together, either in person in your school or remotely. I will talk to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the World Language Classroom Podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss a single episode. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at WL Classroom. You can also see over 250 blog posts about language teaching at, you guessed it, wlclassroom.com.